Explaining Brazil podcast was shortlisted for the Digiday Media Awards for Best Podcast. We did not win at all, but simply being named alongside the likes of NBA star Draymond Green was already a win for us. And it would not have been possible without the support of our listeners. So thank you very, very much for following us every week. We wanted to share this win with you. In 2019, the European Union and Mercosur, the trade alliance between Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay, agreed on the terms of a free trade deal that promised to be a blockbuster. That they had agreed on a draft uh, agreement to form the world's largest free trade area. Since then, however, the deal has not advanced much, mostly because European countries with strong agricultural sectors have created many hurdles. Lula is back in power in Brazil now, and he has treated ratification as a priority. But he too has his issues with the deal. With geopolitical shifts, the encroachment of China, and internal Mercosur tensions looming larger, the deal seems to be facing a do-or-die moment. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, Editor-in-Chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. This week I'm joined by Gabriel Cohen, he is a doctoral fellow at the Institut Barcelona de Studis Internacionals, a senior editor at Latinometrics, and a monthly columnist for the Brazilian Report. Gabriel, glad to have you on the show. The EU and Mercosur reached an agreement back in 2019. What does the deal entail in principle? I mean, how important would be ratification for both sides? Do you think it's a balanced deal or does one side need it more than the other? It's an excellent question. So essentially, the deal entails in principle a slashing of tariffs on, on both ends, both on the side of the European Union as well as the Mercosur bloc. And essentially, ratification has always been rather important for both sides to some degree, even if it hasn't always been treated that way by all the negotiating parties. But essentially, until about 2000. 21 or 22, I would say, it arguably seemed a bit more in the interest of Mercosur because it would be for especially Brazil and Argentina, the largest members, a way to massively grow their exports um, easily to the EU. That has changed somewhat in the past few years, particularly as the EU has taken stock of its somewhat lack of strategic autonomy and its rivalry with both Russia and China. And essentially, with the Mercosur looking to China and knowing that it wants to complete a deal with China next, the, and with strategic minerals and with uh, energy problems in Europe, essentially the EU kind of today has found itself in a position where it arguably needs the deal even more than Mercosur at this point, which is a bit of a of a switch from a few years ago where it was probably the latter, um, the reverse. So that is something that's kind of been a, a, a shift in, of sorts between the two blocks and the two negotiating parties within the last few years. Would it be fair to say that the deal is an opportunity for European industries just as much as it is a threat to European farmers and South American industries? 
Absolutely. It's it's definitely something where on on both sides you have an element of awareness that the threats posed to European agriculture by competition from South American um, uh, agricultural uh, exporters are somewhat the same threats as we see in the South American industry because they're going to face competition now from particularly German, Dutch, and French manufacturers. Therefore, you know, not exactly making a ton of progress for and not doing a lot of favors for Brazilian particular uh, industry and Argentine industry. So essentially, on both sides, there is this protectionist element where they want to protect their domestic producers, their domestic manufacturers, and their domestic farmers. However, on both sides, there was also this strong incentive because, of course, in Brazil and Argentina, <coughs> excuse me, in Brazil and Argentina, agricultural exporters um, play such a massive role. The agribusiness forms, you know, a large sector of the economy. In the case of Europe, industry is so powerful. So that is why we've still seen this deal progress, even if there are, of course, you know, protectionist elements on, on both sides that are a little bit more wary of the of the accord. So you're saying both sides need the deal and that the 2019 agreement came despite pushes for protectionism from both sides of the Atlantic. But nothing much has happened since 2019. Why is that? <sighs> That's a wonderful question. Essentially, 2019, we see the end of 20 years of negotiations and a tentative accord reached between um, both sides in, a, in the middle of the year. Then there were some political elements. Uh, this was also the summer where photos of the Amazon on fire circulated around the world. And as soon as, soon as there was criticism from the European side, particularly of the Jair Bolsonaro administration, there was a subsequent response by the Jair Bolsonaro administration. Some things were said. It, w it went very poorly for negotiations. And, and after that, there is an element of uh, dragging feet. Europe has otherwise been preoccupied, which is to say that besides Spain and Portugal, Latin America is never a priority for the European Union. It never has been, and some people are skeptical it ever will be. And so they essentially turn their attention elsewhere. They turn to the Indo-Pacific, they turn it to uh, what they call their neighborhood in the Mediterranean and, and Northern Africa, and they turned it essentially away from Latin America. And that only somewhat shifted in the past six to eight months with the return of Lula as uh, president and, and the end of the Bolsonaro administration. There is an element of now there's a new urgency, but you're right to say that since 2019, there has been zero urgency on the part of at least the Europeans and to some degree on, on the side of the American country as well. As we see, for example, in Argentina, uh, the Fernandez administration has not exactly been rushing and chomping at the bit to uh, have this deal passed. Now, one major hurdle is the number of environmental demands presented by the EU. And I mean, it is fair to be worried that agricultural producers in Brazil and Latin America still do not have 100% control over their supply chains. But isn't it also a pretext from countries like France and Ireland, which have strong agricultural lobbies? That's an excellent, excellent question. And essentially... I do believe that to some degree within Europe, there is this pretext at play, which you described as a pretext. It's there is for sure environmental concerns. And, you know, the EU is one of the major environmental players in the world. So for sure, um, seeing within the European Parliament, et cetera, we, we do see an actual environmental argument being made. However, 
It is also worth noting that to some degree, as you mentioned, both France and Ireland, which form two of the major um, opponents today to this deal, it's not a coincidence that these are also agricultural players. And the environmental argument has been put forward and does hold some water, particularly as deforestation rates in Amazon climb and have soared in the past few years. However, given the state of the relationship today and the economic relationship today, there is no doubt a, a political element to it, as well as a protectionist element as well, in terms of defending European agriculture. And that has influenced somewhat the degree to, you know, bury the feet in the ground and ensure nothing goes forward on the environmental side. Because blocking a trade deal due to domestic agriculture <clears throat> is not a politically easy thing to sell in all of Brussels, in all of Europe. Whereas in the case of, you know, environmental concerns, well, you know, in Brussels today, it's very sustainable. It's very oriented toward the environment. So saying I refuse to pass it until we get, you know, concrete promises on environment is is a much easier thing to sell if you are a national government such as France or Ireland or Austria, for example. We'll be right back. I'd like to remind you that The Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers, as well as subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America. You can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. In return, you get exclusive benefits such as special newsletters and behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. And today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Tom Nolan, Marta Martins, Ben Ludwig, Leslie Seal, Caroline Hubert, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Luis Hans, Erwin Menez, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vresvik, Alasdair Townsend, Peter Abrahamson, Jim Awofudeju, Michael Fryer, Miller Renacido, David Dixon, José Rosi Stankovic, Emerging Market Muser, Yarden Iftah, Tonica Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Peter Suffering, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you too believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you cannot make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us the occasional cup of coffee to give us the energy boost we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. We appreciate all your support. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. I'm back with Gabriel Cohen, senior editor at Latinometrics and a monthly columnist for the Brazilian Report. Gabriel, Brazil has received visits from countless EU officials including European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Europe is back in Brazil. Europe is back in Latin America. Our regions are not only natural partners, but they are partners of choice. And it is time to take our strategic partnership to the next level. President Lula has also met with multiple European leaders and 
This week, he will sit down with French President Emmanuel Macron. But, I mean, if environmental concerns are a problem for the Europeans, the issue of opening up public tenders for EU companies is also a problem for Mercosur, especially for Brazil. The Jair Bolsonaro administration was willing to open government tenders to foreign companies, but Lula is not so keen on that. He thinks that the provision will hurt local companies. Brazil also recently called off an in-person negotiation meeting with EU representatives as the country tries to present a counter-proposal to scrap that provision from the deal. Do you think it's a reasonable concern for Brazil, or do you think that Lula should compromise on that? That's a wonderful, wonderful question. Essentially, the issue Lula raises today, which is one that most countries in Latin America will have to deal with at some point, with the exception of perhaps Mexico, but one that will continue to somewhat define the region and define especially Brazil um, for years to come, is to what degree do you rely on what on the, on the sector of the economy that's growing and to what extent do you really rely on the sector of the economy that's essentially powering the economy, which is agribusiness, and to what extent do you still hold out hope and light a candle in the hopes of reigniting you know, industrial policy and, and reinvesting in domestic industry? And Lula appears to be trying to have both the victory on the agribusiness front, which he needs because he's a very conservative Congress dominated by agribusiness interests, while also trying to somewhat reinvest and reignite a long-dormant and long-decaying Brazilian domestic industry. On the public procurement side, I think it's a very reasonable request. I mean, European firms want to be able to essentially compete with domestic firms and local firms and not be discriminated against when it comes to government tenders. Meanwhile, on the Brazilian side, there's this element of, okay, but certain matters, such as health and food, have to still be given priority to local and domestic manufacturers and firms. I believe this is a somewhat reasonable request that I don't think will actually define the negotiation going forward. I do believe that it's much more likely to be halted by European concerns than it is actually Lula's and um, his Microsoft partners' concerns. However, it is certainly something that is on the table that European firms are a little uncomfortable with and European negotiators are uncomfortable with because they very much want to essentially liberalize the entire process and ensure that their companies can be competitive and you know go for any government contract in any of the four Mercosur countries without any issues. And I do believe Lula is trying to somewhat take a more principled stance of sorts, one which is saying, no, we still have domestic firms to look out for and we have no problem bringing in, you know, German cars and and French manufacturing. But when it comes to this one issue, we still want our local firms to have a chance to compete with, you know, I mean, some of the European firms are some of the largest in the world. So understandably, he's very wary with somewhat signing away, you know, the rights basically and 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 selling out his own domestic manufacturers to these massive multinational firms over in in Paris and Berlin. After 20 years of negotiations. After a four-year hibernation, we saw Ursula von der Leyen and Lula saying last week that they hope the deal will get through by the end of the year. Do you think this is a now or never moment for the deal? I mean, is the window of opportunity closing? Yeah, I mean, 
someone I greatly respect and admire has once told me that, you know, the same way that no country ever truly dies, you know, no block or negotiation ever truly, you know, goes away. And, and I do agree to that to some extent. And I believe that, you know, it, it's gone on for 20 plus years. So there's no reason to believe it would go on for another year. I will note that, um, being based in Europe and being a Latin American based in Europe, which there aren't 10 million of, and, and we don't get a ton of attention. And, and I have not seen the level of attention on Latin America, um, within Europe that I've seen for the past few months. Uh, I've not seen it basically in the past few years easily. So something where for sure in Europe, particularly in Brussels with the European commission, there is now this bit of a rush, you know, this do or die moment, as you put it, um, without doubt. And it helped that the Spanish presidency, which is starting in uh, July, that will help for sure, because with the EU Selec Summit, but also just more generally speaking, the Spaniards have been one of the main countries in Europe pushing for deeper ties with Latin America. They see Latin America as the solution for a lot of Europe's problems, particularly on uh, natural gas import, particularly on energy and critical raw materials. So there is this element in Europe where today the moment is very do or die because they see the attention as we put it in now, but we need to get results. On the Mercosur side, it's also a bit do or die in that Lula has already said that he wants to finish up the EU Mercosur negotiations before addressing the next major commercial challenge facing him, which is Uruguay's push for a trade deal with China. And I do believe that to some degree, if this deal falls through, and if it doesn't happen this year, as both sides have stressed, they stressed that it was happening the first semester, first half of the year, then it was over the summer by the summit. Now it's likely to be by the end of the year. If it doesn't happen this year, I do believe that he will have to somewhat take stock of that and reprioritize and say, you know what, we, we've been here for 20 years, the Europeans no longer are interested. So we're going to go turn our attention to China, which, as we both know, China is almost always interested in, in some sort of commercial agreement. There are some political elements at play. But it's for sure much more willing to, you know, get on, on board with what Mercosur wants than the Europeans seem to be. So I do believe that this year is not something that it doesn't happen this year. It will never happen. However, between the summit and the renewed push by, for example, the European External Action Service and the European Commission, the attention on Latin America and the attention on Mercosur and, and Brazil in particular has almost never been this high. Uh, and it's almost never for a positive reason. It's almost always been for for negative reasons, such as issues with the prior administration. So, if we don't see it this year, that would definitely be a sign that that the European Latin American relationship and the Europe and the EU Mexico relationship in particular is is one that's just you know going to be permanently stuck in in neutral, so to speak. And Gabriel, do you think that not getting the deal done might be a sort of existential threat for Mercosur, because? I mean, you mentioned we have Uruguay already seeking a trade deal with China on its own, which it cannot do by the bloc's rules. Um, so my question is, by failing to cater to its members' push for free trade, could Mercosur collapse? I mean, bearing in mind that Mercosur never fully flourished into a mega functional trade alliance. Absolutely. Um, there is something where, unlike the EU, which tomorrow will wake up and still very much have other elements in which the EU is very relevant and 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 strong, you know, within Europe, Mercosur is in a bit of a moment of crisis. But crisis would imply a very immediate thing, 
whereas it's been the moment of long-standing crisis for give or take about 15 to 20 years um, in terms of expansion, in terms of new members. The only new member it had, it had to suspend a few years later for democratic uh, erosion. But essentially, the EU-Mercosur agreement does represent to Mercosur somewhat the only massive achievement that governments could sell their people within the past few years. And that is something where if this were to fail to pass, would definitely show that that the bloc is not just in decline, it might simply be obsolete. And as you mentioned, Uruguay is somewhat leading this push for greater liberalization. It's for fighting and, and uh, to negotiate a, a deal with China, much over the annoyance of fellow Mercosur countries. And there is something where the bloc may not dissolve, but it certainly has grown less relevant. And if it cannot pull off this deal, may just grow to the point of irrelevance altogether. And that is something that I don't believe Lula wants. I don't believe that his partners want necessarily in Asuncion and in Buenos Aires. But it's something where even if then they turn their attention to a deal with China, it is still a deal that was more or less pushed into play by Uruguay and something that shows that on an interregional, you know, between blocks, et cetera, the dream of Mercosur starting in, you know, the 1990s and early 2000s, that dream has somewhat gone to die. And now it has to go just negotiate bilateral agreements with, you know, third party countries forever, which, which would represent a huge setback for the block. Absolutely. Now, before I let you go, could not getting the deal done also be a threat for the Europeans? And I mean, in the form of China, because Beijing has increased its size with Mercosur and Latin America more widely. It is already the biggest trading partner for South America, the second biggest for Latin America. Uh, if the EU, uh, If the EU fails to get the deal done, does that essentially amount to throwing South America into China's sphere of influence even more than it already is? Absolutely. I do believe that the EU sees it that way. I was in a recent, um, I was watching a recent panel at the European Parliament uh, discussion on reinforcing trade relations with Latin America. And China was the elephant in the room. Every conversation inevitably circled back to Beijing and circled back to essentially the argument of, we don't have to do anything with Latin America and with Mercosur in particular. However, our failure to do so will be to the benefit of China. And the EU is in a bit of a strange place today where they're not entirely sure of the relationship. Um, you know, different leaders have different approaches to China and they somewhat fight and argue amongst themselves on how to best approach China. Is as a rival, as a partner, as simply another superpower to deal with? Is it, you know, should we get in bed with the Americans? Should we accept that we're never going to align with the Chinese? And so with this, all this confusion on the European part and all this uncertainty regarding China, they very much have kind of come to the realization of, oh, we have neglected Latin America for 20 years. And perhaps the EU-Mexico deal is the best, best embodiment of that neglect. And while we've neglected it, China hasn't. China's been there. You know, open checkbook a major financing partner, major investment source, and as you mentioned, huge commercial partner. So the EU today, if there is this rush to try to get this deal done, and if the European Commission is setting a year's end deadline, and if different leaders are all meeting with Lula and having the summit, 
China is, I wouldn't say 100% of the of the impetus for that, but it is easily 95%. And the European Union today is not quite as China-obsessed as perhaps uh, Washington is, but it certainly is in a position where it realizes, okay, you know what? We either accept that we will never compete with China there, or we start actually backing up our words. Because if we spend 20 years saying we're going to get a deal achieved, we're going to get a deal achieved, and this year will be the year. So China has somewhat, you know, lit a fire under the Europeans um, on on this deal and and on engaging the region more generally, which is a good thing um, overall. But it definitely plays into a larger geopolitical question of, you know, where does Latin America fall? Because it's not just a an economic argument. You know, there are votes on Russia's invasion of Ukraine at play. There are considerations with China's, you know, uh, competition with the U.S. These are all geopolitical questions that Lula, but also Fernandez in Argentina, as well as the incoming Paraguay administration, they're all going to have to, you know, engage with this, regardless of this deal for the coming months and years. Gabriel, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you so much, Gustavo. Gabriel Cohen is a doctoral fellow at the Institut Barcelona de Studis Internacionales. He's also a senior editor at Latinometrics and a monthly columnist for the Brazilian Report. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help us reach a broader audience. Or better yet, sign up for the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. Thanks to our subscribers, we have been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively. And for our work, we have won and been shortlisted for multiple international awards. More recently, our newsletters won the best newsletter prize in the Americas from the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers for a small or local newsroom. In order to keep doing that work, we need your support. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week. 